What is happening? How are we doing? Uh, before the regular show, so a minute of your time, uh, in a few weeks, two or three weeks, you will hear an episode that I did with Adam Lewis Green, who is the person behind uh, Bibliotheca, which is a different version of the Bible. You'll find links to that in this episode's show notes, and that's at bibliotheca.co. But I would encourage you to do that because you'll want to know what the giveaway is. So in that conversation and throughout the organization of it, Adam had said, you know, let's give one of these away to a listener of the show. And that's a big deal. Like A, it's an expensive version of the Bible, but B, it's beautiful. And C, it has become one of my favorite versions of the Bible because I see things that I don't normally see that way because the verses and the and the chapters are just gone. So it's like I'm reading without interruption and I'm not explaining that well, but you'll see what I mean. So here's kind of the rules for entry, beginning with this episode and the next two. And so that third episode will be Adam Lewis Green's. Every time that you either rate and review the show on iTunes uh, during this time period, or Podbean, or anywhere else that you do. And I don't know how I'll keep track of those because I don't get alerted to those. So just let me know that you did that. Every time that you do that, I'm going to go ahead and put your name in the hat for the drawing. The easier way, though, and I think the way that most of you will do it, is to just share this episode or the next few. And so for those of you that already share the episodes, congratulations, your name is going to be entered in the hat easily. But for those that don't normally share the show with others, just share the show, tag the podcast, you know, either on Facebook or Twitter. When you share it, And every time that that happens, I'm going to enter that name into a hat for the drawing. And so I'm really excited to see what happens, excited to see where it goes. So here we go. End of that. Begin regular episode. The thing about the Hebrew Bible, when held up next to the New Testament, I think most scholars of the original languages would agree that the Hebrew Bible is sort of, uh, generally speaking, it is there's a level of artistry in the Hebrew Bible that is 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 rarely if ever reached in the New Testament so that the result is then that the Hebrew Bible good literal translation of the Hebrew Bible will will have what Robert Alter I, I think he calls a grand simplicity We've been the show. I am Seth, your host. Before we get started, remember to rate and review this show on iTunes, especially, or Podbean, wherever you listen to your shows at, especially because this one will enter you into the drawing for Bibliotheca. Or you can share this episode or any of the past two episodes, starting with Darren Calhoun or Brandon Robertson to also be entered. So get after it. You will learn in today's episode not specifically about Bibliotheca, because that's been done. You can go to the website at bibliotheca.co to learn all of that. That is easy enough to find. I was more interested in talking to Adam about the heart behind it, why and what drives someone to come and want to approach the Bible in a new way. And I will tell you personally, and I've said this before, this version of the Bible really has impacted my faith these past few years. It's one of my favorite things on my bookshelf, and it's literally sitting here as I interview every single guest that's ever been on this show. And if memory serves, you'll hear that in this interview. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation with Adam Lewis Green about the Bible as literature and so many other things. And so here we go. Let's do it. Thirsty for you, we are thirsty for you. 
the Adam Lewis Green, and I like the title there because it feels it feels good. I like to keep things loose. So, Adam Lewis Green, welcome to the show, man. I'm excited to have you, and I'm thankful to have you because I know we've been working on this for some time. And if I'm honest, Adam, at the at the beginning of it, when I shot an email, I was like, I'll send this off, and it will go to some marketing PR director, and I won't hear back because usually that's what happens. Like I have to track people down at a very local level usually, but that is not the case. I think that probably goes to you. And so thank you for your willingness and welcome to the show, man. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be invited to chat with you. Cool. And yes, we are. We are. When I say we, it sounds like I'm talking about a company, Mm -hmm. but I'm really talking about me and my wife. So (laughs) it's just, if you send an email, it's going to get to one of us. Yeah. I, um, I had someone ask me the other day, they were like, you need like a personal assistant. I was like, why? And I'm like, well, because I'm pretty sure you're the editor, producer, music procurer, email, license, all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, plus a dad and the actual job that keeps my right. belly full. It's just, it is a lot. It's a lot. I'm sure what I do is in no way the same scale at what you do, but it's still a lot. Of, it's still a lot. Oh, of no, work, I think so. it absolutely is. I think, I think it is. I think what you do is, is the same scale. There are worse, I mean, there are worse hobbies I could have though. So yeah, def- definitely worse no, hobbies. And then maybe, and then maybe someday this will be your main, your main job. If you yeah. keep at it. Who knows? You, your, your, your stuff is really clean. I mean, it sounds great. It looks great. Your website's great. And you've got a, you've got a clear message. I think, you know, how long have you been doing this? Uh, I started the podcast and by started, I like made like a two minute, Hey, I'm going to do this. And I put it out into the world to keep myself accountable in November of 2017. I think the actual first episode was like middle of December of 2017. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but so not long. I, but every episode I learned something new. Like I literally sure. had no idea. I'm like, well, garage bands on this computer. How do I record that? <laughs> so, yeah. I bought a cheap $30 mic from Amazon and I should probably upgrade this. That's the goal eventually. But uh, I didn't realize how expensive putting things on the internet can be if people begin to listen to it because you have to pay for that bandwidth. <laughs> so, Oh yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize, um, which I guess is a good, it's a good problem, but it's a problem, but that yeah, is, you got to pay for everything. Yeah, like, like that, the equivalent fair. of that in my life is cardboard boxes. It's like, yeah, more I ship, the more cardboard boxes I got to buy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just have a, a pallet in the garage. So yep. hundreds of, well, tell me a bit about you, not so much about Bibliotheca, but, but you like what made you, the version of I'm I'm going to say Christian, and if I'm wrong in that, I, I would think you'd have to be to do what you've done. Am I wrong in saying that? We'll get there. Perfect, <laughs> perfect. We did it. Um, but what form? What has form formed you into the you know husband, father, uh, publisher that you are today? Like, what are those big milestones there? Wow, I love that question. That's a good question. I've never been asked a question of that nature before when talking about this project, but or at least not not that specific. I think. I mean, that's, that's really hard to pin down. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> but I imagine, I don't know. I imagine our backgrounds are somewhat similar and, you know, I was raised in the Midwest in a very conservative Baptist home. And I was raised, I mean, in an environment where I think my parents were not quite as, um, sold on everything, but the environment I was in, in my school, my church was a very legalistic, um, dogmatic mm-hmm. environment. Mm-hmm. And so that, that then I think results in a certain seriousness 
that that I just kind of I I have toward my my faith or my beliefs because you know the wages of sin is death. So right. <laughs> be serious about it. So so I was uh you know I was worried and scared for a long time, and so that but I'm grateful in some ways, even though I you know I would never subject my kids to that kind of upbringing. Now I'm grateful in some ways that it that it it caused me to take my beliefs and my my thinking seriously so although i don't think that's always the result you know i think that that pans out in different ways where Mm -hmm. it can like have serious psychological uh consequences and that that kind of legalistic dogmatic environment and so now it's like trying to figure out how to raise my kids in an environment where it's like i'm not i'm not holding the fear of hell over their heads and i'm not um (laughs) i'm not telling them there's somebody watching their every move and they're gonna you know they can't slip up and you better rededicate your life if you feel weird today, you know, like every three weeks. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So it's it, my kids are too young for that right now. But like actually in the environment that I was in, they wouldn't be too young. You start right away. You know, it's just as soon as they can understand words, it's like you start inundating them with that kind of fearful language. But I am also grateful for it. So so it's a, it's a mixed bag there with my upbringing, because eventually, like I said, that that leads to uh, I think you you either just sort of throw everything out and you say, forget this, I'm done. Or you say, well, let's see, what does this all really mean? Where did it come from? Mm-hmm. And what's like, what can I take away? What can I bring? Uh, if I bring reason to the table, what can I take away with me after yeah. I've kind of held everything up to reason? Yeah. So that's sort of where I went. And so like, to be more specific, my whole life through college, I went to private Christian school, but there was sort of always this weird tension there, especially starting in high school through college, where I just sort of saw church as being something that um, I, I was just very skeptical. I was very skeptical about mm-hmm. the church and what the church was saying about the Bible in particular and um, and how it was how it was educating its members and attendees about what the Bible was. So I was skeptical, but I didn't really know why. Thankfully, I had some really great professors in college who kind of broke with the traditions of the college, actually, and, and gave me some really honest material to look at. And some and we had some really good conversations about what is the Old Testament? How did it come into being? And what is the Bible in general? What have people been saying about the Bible forever? Not just the last 150 years, which is all you get if you're a Protestant, <laughs> yeah. conservative Protestant and Christian in the Midwest. Is just like, what have we been saying the last 150 years about it? But it's framed as, what have we been saying about the Bible since the Garden of Eden? Because that's when, you know, that's, you know, that's like the the deception is that we have access to the original way of seeing things as as conservative Protestant Christians. So anyway, I, I don't know. I, it, see, you can tell it like what I, what I said when I started is, is it's hard to pin down. I don't mm-hmm. know. But I think. I think for me, I also had a very, uh, I had very great parents. Not that they were, that they they were infallible um, at all by any stretch, but it was this kind of at the end of the day, I could, I could trust that they loved me and supported me. You know, that was like a big thing in my life so that I felt despite the fact that my community was kind of a scary thing and I didn't necessarily feel safe there, I felt like I could ask questions 
um, because I had that safety net of my parents. Like, I don't yeah. think that they're going to reject me for being skeptical of these things. So yeah. that, that's a, it's huge, huge factor. Yeah. And then, you know, now I am whatever I am and, um, <laughs> and it's, it's a weird kind of thing where, yeah, the Bible is, is obviously very important to me. Mm-hmm. And I think I've, I've changed even since we launched the campaign in 2014, which is now five years ago. Next month, it'll be five years. Mm. I launched the campaign. Um, and so, you know, I've continued to be, to read theology and philosophy and yeah. those things have shaped me. And, you know, I, I feel very close to the Bible cause it was always around and I, and it is definitely the central text of my life if I had to choose one and I still love it and I, and I still read it and, and study it. What college was that? Because most professors, well, depending on the college, they won't buck the trend because they need their tenure or they'll be ostracized or not allowed to write or publish anymore. So what college was that? I went to a small private Christian university in Elgin, Illinois called Judson. Never it, start, it. it started as Judson College yeah, and it ended as Judson University. They went through that transition while I was there. My wife's school just did that. Yeah. 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 It's kind of, it's just such a gimmicky thing, but it it's, is it, you know, I think it's semantics. Isn't, is it just semantics? Is that all that it is? Or is there an actual, no, like, you know, mis- there's or, like an accreditation or, system oh. and you, you've got to go through, but you know, like what isn't semantics, I guess is right. The, the question. I mean, it's like, you've got to be able to say you've got these different colleges. Um, and so basically it's just like a restructuring. You just re basically recategorize your, your college to make it a university. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, that was my understanding of it anyway at the time. Yeah. It was a weird environment because it's like, it was a small private Christian school that cost too much money. So I had a huge amount of debt when I was done. So I have this weird bitterness toward and you, that. And you probably place. still do if you're like most, hopefully, uh, hopefully um, you paid it off. Well, no, because my just to, maybe to get too personal here, my wife got a, a good, a really good job right out of school, and she helped me. Perfect. She was very generous and kind. And she helped Perfect. me pay it off. Yeah. So, but actually, that was very recent. You know, like I'm 33, and we just very recently paid it off. I'm with you. Uh, so I'm I, I just turned 37, and I finally paid off my student loans November yeah. of last year. And it oh was literally for the longest time, Adam, I wouldn't speak to you if your name was Sally. Like, I just didn't like Sally. If your name is May, I don't, Fanny, I don't want to even, someone else <laughs> can help you when you come into work. I'm not helping you because I can't stand your name. Yes. And that's an over-exaggeration, but that's my animosity towards the student loan system. Um, no, so I hear it. It's a huge burden. Easy question. Really easy question. When you say the Bible, because you approach the Bible differently from what I can infer of the videos that I've watched of Bibliotheca, and for just for clarification purposes, I can distinctly remember being on summer vacation at Myrtle Beach at my wife's grandparents' house when I saw someone sent me a message about Bibliotheca on the Kickstarter. And so, yeah, I think I was like the... 15th or 20th or something like that back or like it was like oh this looks good oh wow um yeah it's so nice to meet you that's, yeah that's amazing yeah Thank you. well a at the time <laughs> i also didn't make much money so back in the day like it was a lot less expensive to get it on kickstarter oh, yeah. than it is today so i see people buying it now and i'm like Phew. yeah I, I like to tell people that i have one but i didn't pay that much for it um right although i right. went with i went with that cardboard slip i should have went with the walnut but that's on me or mahogany or whatever the wood is but um they're still around they're still around so I can distinctly remember reading it and and being like, I was like, man, this is a fresh take, but I'm curious as to, so for you, what is the, like, what is the Bible? Like when I say, in, or when you say the Bible, 
Like, <laughs> what do you mean the Bible? Because I, I say that for a couple of reasons. A, you, you've messed with the order, which I like. B, it's formatted entirely different. And I am curious as to why formatting matters for how we read the Bible, like why in our, possibly in our brain or why that even matters. But just what is the Bible? Because for different sects of our faith, that's a different right. answer entirely. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question that I am still wrestling with. I don't know that I have a clear answer on that. I think, well, for me, that's part of it. It's like you'll notice in, in the in the in the language of the videos and on the website, I prefer to refer to it as biblical literature or the biblical library. Mm-hmm. And I chose the name Bibliotheca for a reason to imply that it is a library. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, I think I'm, I'll try to put it simply <laughs> like, and by the way, these aren't my views, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just, I'm just regurgitating what I read. I'm a lay theologian, you know, like I, I, I don't know. Welcome, I don't have a Welcome PhD. to the club. Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, um, so I'm just reading books and then, and then reframing things in, in like a really primitive way. <laughs> it probably is embarrassing to the, the people who originally wrote down the brilliant ideas, but I think that the Bible is it's a collection of literature that has been preserved by communities throughout history and is also very, I mean, it's varied in the way that it's ordered and even what's included. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to see it as, as anything beyond, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to put this. It's hard for me to see it as anything beyond human. I think it's a very mm-hmm. human collection of literature. And that doesn't mean it's not divine. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that. But I think at the same time, you have to you have to go into questions like what does the term word of God mean or inspired and things like that. And those are not, term, you know, like I'll leave that to the theologians. Mm-hmm. You can go read books about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I could maybe recommend a couple that I like. But um, who are they? I think, well, for me, I think the biggest and it, what's interesting is, is he doesn't really talk that much about uh, the religious significance of the Bible as much as he just talks about the form of the literature of the Bible, which is, so Robert Alter, Robert Alter, Mm. every single interview I've done, every time somebody's asked me who's inspired me the most when it comes to the Bible or who's, who's been the most influential thinker when it comes to the Bible, I always say Robert Alter. That name is familiar. Didn't he just retranslate the Old Testament like recently? Or something similar to that? He just finished. He just finished, but he's been working on it for, I think, 20 plus years. Yeah. I remember clicking the link and it taking me to the publisher and it was like 80 or hundred dollars, something like that. But it was, it looked the cover and everything. It looked beautiful, but I was, yeah, I was like, well, okay, I have 18 copies of the old Testament, but no, you um, gotta get his, his is is better. (laughs) Yeah. So how does his approach change the way that you see scripture then? Well, I think what he does, he basically wants you to see the Bible for how it's, how it was made. So I think before his retranslation of, I shouldn't say retranslation, everything's a retranslation. Mm -hmm. Before his translation of the Hebrew Bible, which is accompanied by uh, ample amounts of commentary, by the way, um, very good commentary. Before that, his probably his most well-known book was The Art of Biblical Narrative, his most well-known book that deals with the Bible. And the art of biblical narrative, and then he wrote one after that called the art of biblical poetry. And he basically is talking about the literary devices employed by the biblical writers and redactors. Um, and so he is getting he's getting real specific with things like um, you know symbols that are carried throughout 
say the Joseph narrative or uh, the use of repetition or how how those types of devices when they're employed actually contribute meaning to the text. So I'm trying to think of an example um, or even, or like how syntax is important mm-hmm. and how maintaining um, even the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Maintaining basically the the idiom of the ancient languages is actually beneficial to, in in understanding its intended meaning. So yeah. so the translations are sometimes the, they'll read um, very much like the King James version. He admires the King James version a lot. He's a Jewish scholar, so he only deals with the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm. And he's basically saying, I think that this is my this is my summary in a nutshell. This is definitely not what he. I don't think he's ever said this explicitly. But here's what I would say, based on what Robert Alter has written. I would say that we as a culture have become obsessed with extracting theology or theological truths, doctrine, mm-hmm. from the Bible to the extent that we now translate it to that end. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're, where, chas- we're chasing our own tail. Yes. Yeah. So now it's like if you're gonna if you're gonna read the ESV, you're getting sort of the complementarian Protestant interpretation of the Bible. You're not actually getting a translation of the Bible. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you are, but but a lot of times in those kind of tricky places where things are not buttoned up nice and neat, mm-hmm. you'll get a translation that kind of implies that they are, and that favors their their interpretation. Yeah. Uh, and Robert Alter basically saying, let's confront the text honestly. Let's let it be mysterious sometimes mm-hmm. because it really just is. And honestly, there are a lot of, there are a lot of holes in our understanding of ancient Hebrew. So let's let's not shy away from that. Yeah. Let's be really honest about that. Yeah. And then we can start having better conversations. I mean, that's just it's really just literary criticism. I mean, mm-hmm. he he started as a modern literary critic or a literary critic of modern literature. Yeah. And then later fell into biblical criticism and has become a real heavy hitter in that realm. And I love his work. I love his writing in general, not just his translation, but his writing itself is, is just very clear and intelligent. Um, it's not, it's not overly wordy and and it's, it's great for the layman like me and you. This is an ignorant question. Would his re-translation of the Old Testament or, or the, uh, uh, the Hebrew Bible be similar to the way that David Bentley Hart has done the new, like his most current New Testament translation yeah. is like literally almost broken sentences on purpose. Like yeah. the, I'm trying to do exactly what the word meant without putting sure. bias on top of it. But I don't know. Sure. That may be an ignorant question because A, no, I haven't no. read either one of those. So uh, that's yeah. that's me understanding what I've read of 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 Bentley's. Um, so I think I think yes. And Rob the, the the difference though is that Robert Alter the thing about the Hebrew Bible when held up next to the New Testament, I think most scholars of the original languages would agree that the Hebrew Bible is sort of a uh, generally speaking, it is there's a level of artistry in the Hebrew Bible that is 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 rarely, if ever, reached in the New Testament. Mm. So that the result is then that the Hebrew Bible, good literal translation of the Hebrew Bible, will will have what Robert Alter I I think he calls a grand simplicity, and so it's yeah. sort of this very very simple straightforward. There's there's a lot of ands, you know. It's it's just everything is connected by ands, and it's just it it has. You think the King James 
is the Jacobean English imposed upon the Hebrew Bible. But in a lot of ways, actually, the King James Bible and the ASV, which is what we used, which is what we based our revision on, the, AS, the American Standard Version, which is a revision of the King James Version. <laughs> um, that might be an that might be an edit right there. You just cut that out. But like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, now it has to stay. It, now it has to stay. <laughs> but the King James Version is actually, in many ways, a kind of Hebrewized, Hebraized English, yeah, if you will, yeah. So, like Tyndale did the same thing before the King James Bible. Um, you know, his project of translation that he was killed for. Um, he he made the English of the New Testament more like Greek than English was at the time. And he made the English of the Hebrew Bible more like Hebrew than, than spoken English was at mm-hmm. the time. So Robert Alter's doing that. He's doing a similar thing where, and he, he, he kind of makes the divide between pre-war and post-war translations. So after the war, you have the most obvious example is the 1952 Revised Standard Version. You're talking about which, World War II? Post-World which, War II, yep. Okay. Um, yeah. So... The 1952 Revised Standard Version is purportedly a revision of the ASV, but the translation philosophy there is a huge divergence from the Tyndale, King James, ASV translation philosophy. It becomes suddenly very explanatory, which is another thing Robert Alter talks about. He calls it the heresy of explanation. Hmm. He says, to translate a language is to move it from one language into another. But what we've done with post-war translations is to explain, explain it to the reader. Yeah. So, yeah. What, anyway, um, so much. Yeah. For I'm, well, about. I'm gonna, I'm gonna e, I'm gonna email Robert today actually because that's fascinating. So you were very intentional. I don't necessarily want to talk about how beautifully binded and all of the stuff that goes into publishing the book, because although that's fascinating, it's really nerdy. you have you have spoken <laughs> about that elsewhere. Yes. That if you Google it, people can find it. There's videos on it, um, the Kickstarter videos, the website. Like a lot of that is really well laid out with pictures at the same time. And I think for explaining that process, you kind of need to see what you're talking about if you don't yeah. have a basis in publishing. Because uh, yeah. I know I didn't, although I can appreciate it now that I have you know some well-bound books um, and some that are not. Like I have a lot of galley copies of books now and those are definitely not well-bound. What is the purpose of form if we're going to approach the Bible as a narrative form? Because you've been very intentional in the way that you have structured the text. I mean, there's no chapter, there's no verses, there's no thing. And I know how that's impacted me and we can talk about that, although I'd rather save that if we have time. But why do you think form matters as we engage in an honest or intentional reading of, of biblical narrative? Well, I, I think that for, for humans, form has, has mattered. I'm tempted to say has always mattered. Definitely that's true. Uh, but, de- but we know for sure that form has mattered for a really long time. And I think that's an interesting um, kind of a result of the, Reformation and the iconoclasts, and even just even the Enlightenment has been to hyper intellectualize things, I think, or to 
what I guess what I'm saying is the written word has always form has always been an important part of that. Even if you look at the um, the Isaiah scroll, which is the oldest extant manuscript of the full book of the Bible that we that we have access to, mm-hmm. that is uh, it's a it's a beautiful scroll. I mean, the, the the spacing and the letter forms are beautiful. In other words, the, the the manuscript is inclined to the reader, you know, so you're inviting the reader to read this thing. It's meant to be read. It is poetry or narrative or or law or whatever, whatever it may be. The, the end goal is for someone to sit down and, and read it, whether it be to themselves or out loud. I think that mattered all the way through history. It still matters today. So like it's it's not uncommon to see if you go to a used bookstore and go find a classic, find the Divine Comedy or or Homer's work and you'll see or Shakespeare's work and you'll see beautiful editions of these books. Even even philosophers like Nietzsche, you'll find beautiful editions of their of their work, although I don't find enough of those. Somehow the Bible kind of went through a different different history where for a long time it was treated as the it would end up being the most beautiful book, you know. It would be the most beautifully decorated and carefully carefully made physical object that there was for a long time um, Mm -hmm. out of reverence for its importance, obviously. And, but then the reformation came along and it became more about, like I said before, extracting truths and facts, empirical, some, some, you know, you you might say empirical facts, even though they're not empirical facts, but there's um, the result then is that you just, you start treating the Bible like a, a utilitarian object um, which it can be used that way, certainly. And if you need your congregation, if you're if you're a pastor and you need your congregation to bring their Bibles to church every Sunday so you can make them flip around from from verse to verse, um, if if that's what you need, then you you need a reference Bible that right. will, will suit that need. But I think what's interesting is I think a lot of people have I've I've read a lot of people's obviously comments and reviews and things like that about Bibliotheca. And I think one thing that people say a lot over and over again is, I love this as like my everyday reader um, or something along those lines, but you know, it's not great. It's not good for study. And I would say, you know, actually just reading something straight through is kind of the first step of study. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's actually excellent for study. Um, so it's still a utilitarian object in that it's enabling you, I think, in a way that traditional reference Bibles with two columns on each page and numbers everywhere, uh, it's enabling you to engage with the text in a way that those <clears throat> those books, for many people, it hinders their experience um, because you know it's that's we know that that is not the most comfortable way to read a text. You know there right. are rules of typography and and book design that that have developed over the centuries that we pretty well agree upon. Like, Hey, yeah, this looks nice. And I can sit down and read it for a while. And, uh, you don't think about a dictionary or an encyclopedia in that way. And yet that is exactly what a traditional reference Bible looks like. It looks like something that is not meant to be read for an extended period of time. So I simply wanted to reintroduce this type of form to the biblical library. And I say reintroduce because it really is just a reversion to the, the, the old sort of reverence and beauty that would be applied to the biblical texts throughout history. Yeah. So, I mean, that was the way it looked 
for, I mean, if you look at the Isaiah scroll, anybody who's listening, if you just Google the Isaiah scroll and then you look at a page of Bibliotheca, it's like, it's the same thing. We're talking about 3000 years apart. You know, that, that was my main inspiration, that page layout and the Isaiah scroll. Mm -hmm. It's just simple and elegant and spacious. And it's just the text, you know, and it's, you know, and I, I could have gone even further with it by separating each book out on its own or separating, you know, the three Isaiahs from each other, et cetera, et cetera. But because, you know, scrolls couldn't contain this much text. But I think just separating it into volumes, obviously, it was necessary if I wanted to use nicer, thicker paper. But it's also sort of a a symbol or signpost that, hey, this is a this is a library. This is a collection of texts. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah. It deserves our it deserves our attention in a different way than this sort of lab table dissecting mm-hmm. uh, approach that we've taken into it for the last several hundred years. By the time this airs, it'll it, I don't know where it'll be in there, but uh, there's a handful of us that are going through a book by Alexander Shia. We're going through the Gospel of Mark right now, and I have stopped reading the Gospel of Mark out of my traditional Bibles, and I've started reading it as I'm going through leading this small study on this book out of yours. And what I'm finding is where I used to proof text things in, like, you know, turn to Mark or Matthew 12 verse whatever. I can't do that when I do it this way. And it's forcing me when I try to talk about scripture to tell a bigger story when I'm talking about something that was said. Like it's it's not like in the past, I would be like, Tom Brady had 76 fantasy football numbers. And now I can't talk about it without talking about the whole team. And that's a really bad metaphor. Um, <laughs> that's a really bad metaphor, but I hope you understand what I'm it trying was, to say. Yeah. It's, it's for, it forces me to wrestle with scripture in a way that, um, I would argue that it's just as much study because I can easily memorize, I can remember like parts of To Kill a Mockingbird and that type of stuff because paragraphs were formative. Like you'd read it and you're like, oh my gosh, that's, you, you remember, or parts of Lord of the Rings or parts of other stories that are well told that matter. You remember them. It doesn't matter how it was formatted on the page. Sure. But it's hard to reference back to. Um, but I like that where I'm like, I feel like well, I'm pretty sure Mark is on page like 98 or 86 or something like that. Like that's about yeah. Mark six. It's yeah. about Mark six somewhere in this vicinity. So, well, there's, I mean, there's also a different way of reading now than there was in antiquity. I mean, who are the greatest expositors of scripture of all time? I mean, they, most of them were not using a reference Bible, you know, St. Augustine, Maimonides, you know, they, they knew the text yeah, because they had to, and that was the way that they read it. They were just constantly reading it straight yeah. through, you know, and, and I'm sure they, they had little marked up manuscripts or whatever, but, um, but there's a certain intimacy that I think is accomplished when you cut off some of these interruptions, like cross references or footnotes and things like that. Uh, obviously those are good tools to have. It's great that we have those things. I would never argue against that, but, but it, it is a different kind of space to enter into with the text. Yeah. I think entirely different. It has the potential, maybe not for everyone. Maybe some people aren't bothered by the reference Bible. Maybe they can sort of see through that and ignore all the distractions. But for me, it really was about creating creating the space that I wanted to read the text mm-hmm. within. So, Well, I would argue for people that haven't read a Bible formatted, is yours the only Bible formatted this way? No, there, no, others no. Like this? there yeah. are others. There are others now, actually. Um, Perfect. I'm not going to um, advertise for them. Absolutely but not. There are definitely, there are others now. I would argue if you've never read the Bible in a different format, um, much like you don't know what cable's like if you grew up on rabbit ears, and rabbit ears are just fine because they've always been fine. But once you have <laughs> cable, you can see the differences. And there's nothing against 
rabbit ears, and I'm probably dating myself a bit. You know, there's nothing <laughs> against there's nothing against that format, but there's other formats, and they have their own function and form. One is more quickly able to navigate to number two hundred six, uh, you know, ESPN or whatever, and you can quickly get to where you need to be. And the other requires nuance and requires you to adjust the antenna. Let's call that prayer. Like it's going to require more intention to get the signal inputs. It, it requires sure. more time and more patience. Right. Another bad metaphor, but I don't pre-plan <laughs> those. So there we go. But, you, um, but I got it. That's that. I think yeah. it's a good metaphor because for for at least for people who are of our age and older. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah. Although I don't know when rabbit ears stopped. So, um, the, uh, so I'm curious, and this will be a deeply personal question. I'd like to wrap up with this one before we plug what you're doing now, as you had to wrestle through the text and you're, you know, you're redoing it. And I, and I remember seeing like the product update saying, you know, we had to get other people that know more about this text than, than I do. Cause if yeah. we're going to retranslate it, like the commas matter, the periods matter, yeah. the syntax matters. And so what are some of those things that as you were going through it, you're like, you know, personally, you're like, okay, well, we've got to reprint it this way. But now that I see that, like, I can't unsee that. And then it changes the story of right. some of these other things. Like, you're like, oh, my, nobody ever told me this. I didn't know this. And scholars probably knew it. But, and yeah. then you're like, oh, I can't, that genie's never going back in the bottle. Yeah. I think, well, a lot of it is that initially we set out with a team of copy editors, right? And we, we had, we sort of, we spent a long time, we worked with, um, a very experienced proofreading company, um, Petri Editorial, um, that they, they've done a lot of Bibles. And they, they and um, my copy chief, a guy named Will Palmer, um, he and, and they and I all worked together for months to create a style guide where we decided, okay, we're looking at the Jacobean English and the commas and the semicolons and, and, and usage in the ASV that needs to get updated. And so those things, you, you come across all sorts of situations. And so the style guide began to get really, really long. And then we gave the style guide to a team of copy editors and they start applying it to the text. And you start to see, and there are a lot of decisions that need to be made, like a semicolon versus a comma versus no comma. I mean, it can it can change things. And then the other thing was without footnotes, is there's a little bit of a, a weakness there because the the ASV very often has just like most reference Bibles, they have in in the margins um, like a more literal rendering of the Hebrew, and a lot of times I really just wanted to put those in the main text because they're so much more visceral and human. So like for example, um, oftentimes throughout the throughout the Hebrew Bible, a prophet, say Moses, will say something, and at the end of what they've said. Um, it'll say, you know, thus says Yahweh by the hand of Moses. But a lot of times the translators took out the hand of just, it'll say, thus says Yahweh by Moses mm -hmm. or something like that. And I thought, well, why would we, why would we take out by the hand of Moses? You know, I mean, that's, that's just a great bodily image. And that's the way that the Hebrews saw the world. So why would we, why would we take that out? Or, or translating things like instead of center uh, translate it as translating it as I or something like that. Or, mm -hmm. or in Daniel, there was an example, like, uh, we're talking about, uh, Mordecai being hung on a gallows when the literal is tree. So why, why not just give me the more concrete translation? You know, that's, and so I'm seeing that in the margins. I'm thinking, well, I want to incorporate these. That that's really going to be, that's like a more 
intense editorial change than just switching around commas and eliminating Jacobean English. But if I'm going to do that, I need to be, I need to run it by people who know the Hebrew and the, mm-hmm. and the Greek and, um, and the Aramaic. So, so we then came of Scott to, to read through the text, make suggestions, point out errors, things like that. You know, so they, they suggested a lot of clarifications or things that, you know, we've come a long way in, in 120 years with the original languages and, so they were able to to help to help with that process uh, for sure, and it gave me a sense of peace. You know, I was I mm-hmm. was very anxious about the editorial process until I finally made the decision, which was a financial decision. Like, do we have enough money to pay these guys mm-hmm. to spend their time to do this? Yeah, they're not going to volunteer. Yeah, and so <laughs> it was you know it was a it was a it was a considerable chunk of money, but I think it gives the final product a a sort of legitimacy that it wouldn't otherwise have had. But sure. I think. The other thing too is like I would notice things that that maybe weren't even noted in the ASV, and I would say like, well, what do you think of this? I'd be able to run it by scholars. So like for example, Second Timothy three sixteen is the you know like all scripture mm-hmm. is God breathed, and yeah, that's that's these, the inerrancy clause, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so in in basically every Bible, you're going to get that traditional translation: all scripture is God breathed and useful for, et cetera, et cetera. But in ASV, the ASV is sort of infamously known for translating it differently. Uh, and it says something like, um, all scripture that is God breathed is useful for. And mm-hmm. if you look at the original Greek, there are problems there. There, It's mm-hmm. not, the Greek is complicated. And so you can Google it or you can go look at Peter, uh, Pete Enns. Um, but that translation is is strange and contested. So I was able to ask a scholar. I was able to say, okay, well, what do you think of this translation? Is it as ridiculous as everybody says it is? And I, I asked David De Silva, who is a professor of New Testament at Ashland Theological Seminary, and he said, it's actually a perfectly viable translation. Mm-hmm. And I would suggest you keep it because it's, you know, it's because it's different. And because it adds a dimension to the text, it, it it confronts the reader with another possibility that is actually perfectly viable if you look at the original Greek. So those are examples of things where the the help of scholars and editors was was a huge help. And I think the resulting translation, you know, like I chose to use the ASV and update it because there was no other full translation of the Bible that included the Hebrew Bible, the Apocrypha, the New Testament that sort of adhered to Robert Alter's philosophy of translation. Mm-hmm. So the ASV was sort of the closest thing I could find, the closest and most recent thing that falls somewhat in line with his translation philosophy. It's not perfect, but then I was sort of able to bring, with our rules and with the scholars, I was sort of able to bring his approach uh, a little bit more into focus with our revision, which is the American literary version. So yeah, that's, that's I mean, and there are a lot of examples, but it's like, It'll get bored fast. Uh, <laughs> I like it. And I haven't, so you probably heard me pulling out books. I was looking for my copy of the New Testament, but that's the one that's at work because I was reading it yesterday. Oh, okay. So you probably yeah. hear me sliding them out. I'm like, I'm going to go to seconds. Oh, I'm no, yeah, I heard Biblio Fecker's um, coming in and out of a slipcase. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, does it have a sound? You recognize the sound? <laughs> yeah. The cloth, man. I know the cloth. Yeah. yeah. Well, so your, um, your case is actually the perfect level to get you off of the small coffee table that I use because... <laughs> Um, yeah, your, your, so your, your version of the Bible is literally holding up every interview that I do. That That's is a, perfect. another, yeah, like quite literally I holding, love that. holding love you that. up. Yes. Um, it, it also works as a great step stool, everyone. 
I uh, would recommend well, I, it, but you could. I, this maybe the wood one, but I'm a big dude, and that's not going to hold me up. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, there's going to be links to Bibliotheca in the show notes, and from what I understand, a bulk of people, like when people ask me, I, oftentimes people ask me, or I'll respond to people when they ask, you know, what's the best version of the Bible for people to read, and I will say, here's the two that I read, and it's usually an NRSV and then Bibliotheca, and I'll pair other ones with them. Um, but I always say the one that you will read and the one that you'll read often, that's the best version. But is your revision of the ASV going to get included elsewhere for people that only read Bible on a digital format? I, I do hope so. Who do I have to call? When? <laughs> I have no clout, but I will call. It's just, it's just like, you know, we were talking about, uh, I, I think before you started recording, we were talking about how we're just trying to do everything. You know, and it's, I think it's just me and my wife running this business. And so it's, and, and trying to survive. So, so I, you know, like I've got conversations started about, um, making a digital version of the text and they're out, you know, they're, they're just, which should already exist, right? Cause you had to submit a digital version to the printer. Right. So it's a digital version of the text, but we have to reincorporate verse numbers, right? If we want it to be a certain old text. No, 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 no. No. Okay. Okay. Fine. Well then, that w- then it's well, easy. I, then I'll just ma- I'll make it available in PDF form, and then there you go. Uh, but well, actually, I don't. I like that there's no verse numbers because um, I feel well, like yeah. that's too easy to slip back into the older way of reading it. But, but I, that's but maybe I'm just that's saying, me. If I want to make the translation, if I want to enter that world of sort of like competitive Bible translation, which I have not determined mm-hmm. whether or not to do, then I would have to sort of reincorporate reincorporate the verses and the, all the proper, I don't know, even what you call it, the, the code language or whatever to make it, you know, work on say, you know, all the Bible, Bible study tools.com or biblegateway.com or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's a searchable text that you can compare with others. You know what I mean? I, I would like that because I think the translation is really good. I mean, it's the ASV, but in my opinion, it's, you know, we, we removed the archaisms and we made some improvements. You know what? Let me resend my no, because I'm thinking about it wrong. I was thinking about reading a digital version of Bibliotheca, but my question is letting people read this version of the Bible in whatever format they need to. So I'm going to resend my no. It's not a fair no. Okay. When, I, when okay. I was like, no, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Because I was thinking about it at a personal level, not at a world. No, yeah. Level. I mean, obviously the reason I did it was, was to give people this experience, right? Yeah. So it's not, it's not just about the format, but it's also about the materials, the physical mm-hmm. object and the way that mm-hmm. it feels and smells and, yeah. uh, and the way that it even just sits in a room when you're not using yeah. it. So it's, it's all these things that's that all the parts contribute to a greater whole, right? So it's a, yeah. it's this, the translation is one aspect of the project, but the, but the physical form is what completes it in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why it's kind of been like, it's been a back burner thing. It hasn't been mm-hmm. a huge priority to get the translation out there and compete with the NIV and the NRSV and the ESV or whatever. Cause that's kind of, that's not what I'm, that's not what I set out to do with this, this Perfect. project. No, that's, that's a great answer. What are you doing now? What's, what am I doing what's now? next for Adam Lewis green? Well, the most exciting bit of news that I have, well, first of all, I've been, Bibliotheca has been, you know, you, I, I don't know if you'll give like a little summary of Bibliotheca when, before I start talking or whatever, before the recording, but. You don't but, know if I'll give a what? Are you going to give a little summary of, of like 
what uh, it is. Because I just realized I, you, I haven't really talked about what it is. <laughs> well, then <laughs> let's do that. Near, um, so I probably won't. Usually what I do is I give people a preface of, here's what you're going to hear us talk about. Right. That way they can quickly hit the eject button. Like for sometimes, like if I'm going to deal with inerrancy, which I also could have brought up when we talk about second, you know, sure. but if we're going to deal with that at length and you're not comfortable with that, just hit delete. Right, right. But I can, um, or you can. Biblioteca started as a Kickstarter project mm-hmm. wherein I attempted to raise $37,000. That was the goal in Kickstarter. And as you know, being one of the first backers, um, it it kind of went crazy and it went viral and it, and it ended up, the campaign ended up raising $1.4 million in 30 days. So there was definitely, it was definitely scratching some kind of itch that was out there for lots of different types of people, mm-hmm. um, not just Christians. And, um, and so, or in all different types of Christians as well. Um, and so since then it has sort of continued to be like a, it's required a lot of my focus, time and energy. And so that's, you just wanted to do a one-off run, right? Like you wanted the Bible this way for you. And you're like, if I'm going to do it, let's just, let's just do it for a handful of other people. Exactly. Exactly. So it was like, it was like, what's it going to take to get maybe 500 of these made? Cause that's about uh-huh. the minimum amount any serious bindery or book printer is going to consider mm-hmm. if you want to have it professionally done on an industrial level. And so that was $37,000. That was my calculation. And that was basically at cost, which is why mm-hmm. the Kickstarter campaign is so much cheaper than well, thank what's you for, for sale now. Cause I'm, <laughs> I have to run a business, you know, like I have overhead yeah. now, but it's like, a. With the Kickstarter, I wasn't thinking about overhead. I wasn't thinking about, you know, buying equipment and things like that. So it's like there was there was really no profit built into the Kickstarter. But but luckily we raised enough money to to stay above water. We came pretty close a couple of times. But um but anyway, it's required for the we ended up finally publishing. So the Kickstarter campaign was in 2014. We finally published it right at the end of 2016, beginning of 2017, sending it out to backers and people who pre-ordered it and it has continued to sort of stay a steady there's been a steady flow of interest um mm-hmm. uh, in biblioteca which i am both surprised and by and grateful for and so that has been you know like i'm still a designer that like that was the plan was just do biblioteca that would sort of be my weekend project and i would remain a freelance designer and but it's been more like I do freelance design in my spare time. Biblioteca is kind of my, <laughs> that's my business, but it's turned into a publishing company where yes, now I am working on other projects. Um, and the biggest news of late is uh, that I just finally, uh, after many, many years, actually before Biblioteca, I've been wanting to buy a Heidelberg cylinder printing press. And these are like the height of letterpress printing. Um, my, my machine was made in the 1950s. It's like this 13,000 pound steel monster. And Gracious. Um, I'm going to use it to print to print some really nice books. Um, hopefully, if I can if I can figure it out, it's going to be a lot of tinkering, uh, a lot of trial and error. But but um, I have a couple of projects in mind, like shorter works that I'd like to do on the printing press. Um, and obviously have them beautifully bound, et cetera. But, um, you know, and as far as details go, I, I don't have any to offer. I don't. Yeah. 
No, that's um, fine. Because it's too That's soon. all going to be under the Bibliotheca umbrella? Or that's an well, entirely now, different entity? Right. So now I, I started, my business is now Writ Press. So that's mm. my company name, which again is kind of silly because it's really just me and my wife. So um, I think... <laughs> Well, but as, may, as but working at a bank, most businesses are you and your wife. Or, sure. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, I mean, I, I meet so many business owners that they are, like, it's a huge business, but it's two people. Right. It's a yeah, huge, oh, man, yeah. it's, it's even, it, it continues to, it continues to get crazier and crazier. We, we've been using, um, this is a little bit off topic, but we've been using a fulfillment company for the, since we launched the campaign. Cause mm-hmm. when we had to fulfill the first order, right. Um, yeah, somebody has to warehouse it. Every yeah, everyone who pre-ordered it, we had something like thirty thousand units or something like that, mm-hmm. and twenty-two thousand of those had to go out the door right away. You know, like there's no way we were going to do that ourselves. So we hired a company with a giant mm-hmm. warehouse, and um, and we've been housing our inventory there, and it was up in Pennsylvania for since we launched, since we published, and our service agreement with them finally expired so that our, our monthly, the cost to stay there on a month to month basis just ended up being too costly. Mm -hmm. So, and, and even the price of shipping went up and all that stuff because our initial agreement has expired. So we just recently moved all the remaining inventory, which compared, compared to what it was is not that much, but it's it for, for one person to just house all this inventory, we just moved all of our remaining inventory from Pennsylvania down here to North Carolina and we, you know, I had to run a forklift and it showed up on a 53 foot truck. And I like me and my, my wife and my two little, my little almost four and almost two year old were there, you know, like they were crawling. I, in hope, the boxes you, I and, hope you got your kids, the little airplane thing so they could direct you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, they loved it, man. They loved to help. And, and yeah, like, that's you know, cool. And climbing the boxes when they're empty. And, but yeah, it's, it's like, it's really, like you said, it's kind of, it's, I'm probably doing too much. I probably, I probably should hire a couple, a couple of people to do that kind of thing, but I enjoy being a part of that process. You know, like Mm -hmm. I designed every letter in that book, you know, like I designed the typeface. Mm -hmm. I oversaw the editorial process with people who are qualified to to actually carry it out. And then I, you know, I typeset it. I oversaw the printing and production, chose all the materials. And now it feels like a, just having received the inventory and, and and overseeing that process, I just love having that perspective and knowing mm-hmm. what it takes to do everything from from start to finish. Um, Absolutely, uh, because I hope to be to publish more works and I want to know every step along the line and know how to do it the best way I can. So that's 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 where we're at now. You know, like hopefully in ten years we'll look back and think, remember when we unloaded all that inventory ourselves and. I drove a forklift around for six hours and then didn't have anything. Hot sun. <laughs> <laughs> so where do they go then, Adam, if they want to connect with you, they want, maybe they listen to this and they're like, Hey, quick question on something you said, like, where would you direct them to, to, to do any yeah. of that or, or to well, get a copy of obviously Bibliotheca or to keep track of Rip Press? Sure. Where um, they go? Well, the website is bibliotheca.co. You could just, you could also just probably Google uh, Bibliotheca Adam or Bibliotheca Kickstarter and you'd find it. 
I will say if you just Google Bibliotheca, it takes you to like an Italian website, I think. Like, oh, that's it, funny. Well, there's, yeah. there's, there's 3M. There's 3M has the company called Bibliotheca, which is like library solutions. Yeah, like it literally takes you to something like that, which is yeah. kind of related, but differently related. Like I'm usually yeah. like, that's not where I wanted to go. Right. It's, <laughs> so. like, it's like the second or third one down if you, yeah. if you Google Bibliotheca. Uh, yeah. It's also, I'm also, we have, we have um, Amazon inventory. Mm-hmm which is like a necessary evil for me. But, you know, we have we have competitors now who like to use our our company name as a keyword on Amazon. So we have to ha- we have to be there. Huh. But we don't have to. Nobody's twisting my arm. But sure. Yeah. But choose to be to be competitive. And then but you can but we have a store bibliotheca.co uh, or writpress.com. That's W-R-I-T press.com. That's um, the same website. And uh, if you have questions. I would say, please email us your questions. Don't necessarily expect a, an extraordinarily prompt response, but we will do our best to get back to you. The email is support at bibliotheca.co. And awesome. we, we love questions because I know the text is not accessible in the digital realm and people have lots of questions about how this or that was translated or mm-hmm. how you did this or that. And, and we love to answer those questions, get that yeah. information out there. Perfect. Well, man, I haven't, I've greatly enjoyed it. Um, yeah, me too, man. I would le- I wish we could talk for, uh, for longer, but, uh, well, we could always do it again. We just have to figure out what we want to talk could. about. So yeah, yeah. there's no, there's no rules about that. So anyway, <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll thank you again. So, so much. Genuinely enjoy it. You're very welcome. And thank you as well for, for having me. I appreciate it. Today's music was provided with permission by mountaintops stuff is fantastic you'll find links to them in the show notes as well as bibliotheca and all of the different things that we talked about in here today i love your feedback and so if you have any send it to me can't wait to talk to you next week be blessed everybody There's nothing left